Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I am so glad you joined us today. Think about what it's like to be a student all day, trying to pay attention, trying to do different tasks that we're giving them trying to hang in there with content that may not be that captivating to them. I mean, not everybody finds crustaceans super fascinating or iambic pentameter or integers. How can we keep students motivated? For that matter, what keeps us motivated? If you think about the school day, students don't get to select what they really want to learn about. So they go from math and they're learning one thing to science to another, to social studies, to language arts. It is a really long day and it's a very challenging day. So our topic today is really how can we keep our students motivated? One thing that really struck me was a a researcher named Hansen. It's a simple statement, but it really is true. Motivation is situational. So in some situations, I feel motivated to work hard and jump in here. And others, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to tune that out. So it's not like they're motivated all day or demotivated all day for most students. It's largely situational. And from Skunk and Meese, this is from 2006. This, I think, is just really a key point to remember. It makes sense. Students are more likely to engage when they believe there's likely to be a positive outcome. Guess what? We avoid activities our brain is telling us are likely to have a negative outcome. It's like a warning light going on. Like, don't do that. You may fail. Don't do that. But when they think that, hey, I might be successful at this, they're more likely to engage. One of the key components of student motivation is our task. That's what I mean by being situational. The task that's in front of that student, does that task have a lot of value? Does that task connect to the student? Is that task real world? Will I use this task? Is it interesting? When we talk about self-efficacy, self-efficacy relates to the task. It's not self-confidence of the overall student, overall self-confidence or self-esteem. Self-efficacy means it's the brain's perception of, hey, you've given me this task to do. What's the likelihood that I'll have some success at this? This, this, The brain is just sort of measuring that. Self-efficacy matters so much. You can look at a lot of researchers on this, but the big point about self-efficacy is a self-efficacious student is going to work harder, persist longer, overcome obstacles. But motivation is more than that. If a task is tedious, if it lacks importance, I don't even want to do it well. Even if I know how to do it, if I can have some success, I don't even want to do it. For That's why if we gave students copying dictionary definitions, every student in that classroom can do it. But who wants to? I don't want to do that. It's not valuable. So we want to look at our tasks. If we're having students who are withdrawing from tasks, not jumping in at school, first thing we want to look at is our tasks. Now, when we look at students who jump in, they work hard, That's, that's those are symptoms. Those are signs of self-efficacy. If I see a student who gives up easily, a low tolerance for frustration, pushing away from the task, they don't want to do it, they got their head down, those are signs of low self-efficacy. And as tragic as it sounds, it really hits a peak around sixth and seventh grades, those transition years. As students start getting older, 
they, their self-efficacy can drop. They've got some history behind them. Younger students tend to be more self-efficacious. They don't have a history of, of as much failure. So if we're teaching secondary or upper, upper elementary, this can really get to be an issue because students come to our classrooms with a history. And this, this student who's shutting down in our class at one point probably enjoyed coming to school, probably enjoyed learning, but it's been a while for them since they've experienced some success. So there, we got to find some strategies to dig deep because here's what I know about all kids. They want to be successful. You know, if the brain's telling them, warning, warning, this is not going to go well for you, the brain's going to protect them. That's one thing we always have to remember is the brain is is designed to protect that child. And if that brain is is sensing, hey, this may not go well for you, the brain's saying, sweetie pie, you better stop doing that task because it's not going to look good for you at the end of this. So that's kind of what we're up against. Two of the most critical things to remember is when a student sees a task, they're thinking, hey, can I do this? Is there a good likelihood that I'll be successful? And the second one is, does it even matter if I do it? Is this task really important? Is this something I'm going to use at the grocery store later? Is it something that if I'm going to put some fencing up that I'm going to use? Is it something that's going to help me get a better cell phone plan? So value of task and can I do this task? Those are two of the most critical questions that students need to answer. It's kind of like the story of Goldilocks. You know, the task needs to be not too difficult, but not too simple. It needs to be just right. And that varies by students. So that's another symptom. Is the task out of their reach or is the task too easy? Because I don't want to do something that's too easy either. Now, here's where we get into some really good strategies on getting uh, helping students become motivated. Um The tricky thing about this is I can't just tell you, honey, you can do it. You can do it or just work harder. Those are empty words for kids Uh, because the the path to self-efficacy is becoming successful again. It's getting a little bit of success under your belt again. Because when we feel successful, when we realize, hey, I, I did all right on that, guess what? The brain wants to do. The brain wants more success. Success is addicting. It's like, wow, that felt great. I want a little more success. Unfortunately, the flip side is true. If a student starts failing, then it just gets to be harder and harder to get them back on track sometimes. All right, so here's the stuff you might want to jot these down. I'm going to give you some some strategies that work with just about every student to motivate students to get them going. The first one is a big one. Sometimes it's called the great motivator. It's providing choices, all right? Think about a student. Well, choices work with all students, but let's first think about a student who's who's experienced a lot of failure. School's not working out for them, all right? That's a loss of control. That student doesn't feel like they have any control over the situation anymore. School's kind of happening to them. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. The bus comes every day, takes her to that same school every day, and I have the same thing happen to me every day. Choices can change that dynamic amazingly quickly. For example, they don't have to be big choices. If we're doing some writing, three different writing prompts, pick one. For in math, here's 10 problems. Pick six of them. I love to use menus. I use 258 menus. I use uh, block menus. I use all kinds of great menus. And the cir- and they circle which ones they want to do. I even put things like this if I'm in a class with reading. Do you want to read by yourself? Want to read with a partner? Want to read in the teacher circle? So small choices throughout the day. We want to have kids as much as possible have some choices on what they're going to read. 
everybody doesn't have to read the same story from that author. We can have a couple of different stories. We can have different novels going on, right? So let them have some choices on this. They're products. They can have choices. For example, you can write something, you can tape a summary, you can videotape yourself. Give them choices on graphic organizers. Want to reuse this one or that one? While we're reading, do you want, what's your during reading strategy? You want to use a highlighter? Want to use some sticky notes? All kinds of choices throughout the day that we can use. What it does is gives a student power. It lets them have some control about what they're going to do. I'll tell you a story. I was teaching eighth grade and I had a student. I don't know how we got this power struggle, but I could not get this kid to pick up a pencil anymore. And I, one day I used a menu and it was a basic block menu. There weren't a lot of bells and whistles, but he could circle. The students could circle two from this row and one from this row. Pick what you want to do. Now, here was a student I was having trouble getting to do anything. He looked up at me and guess what he said? You mean I can do any of these? I said, yep, you can do any of them. He just starts working. I'm like, oh my gosh, why didn't someone tell me about these menus before? So choices are something throughout the day that we can give to students or small little things. And because, it, hey, it's their learning, right? It's their, it's their learning. So let's give them some choices. That's the big one. All right, number two, I already mentioned it. It's all about the tasks. Okay, if I'm in a building and I see a lot of students not participating, I'm going to look at those tasks, all right? If we spend our time on crafting compelling, innovative tasks, it's going to make all the difference in the world. Matter of fact, if I'm in a building and someone mentions to me, hey, there's some classroom management issues, uh-uh, I start with lessons first. I don't go straight to classroom management strategies and routines and rituals and all that. I look at our tasks first. For example, if we're studying the Trail of Tears, rather than doing a textbook and questions, I'm going to let them make a newspaper article. I'm going to make them a front page of a newspaper. Pick what you want to do. You want to be the editor? You want to be the graphic organ, graphic designer? What do you want to be? And they're going to create a newspaper. All right. If I'm studying the cotton gin, here's their task. What had the bigger impact? The cell phone or the cotton gin? I'm going to make it real world. In math, let's choose menus from local, local restaurants, election results, cell phone plans. In economics, if we're studying banking, make it real world. You're going to pick out a bank. You're going to research banks and select a bank that's perfect for you. So we want to make those tasks valuable, connectable, real world for the students. So that's number two. Number one was choices. Number two, let's really get those tasks to be more compelling. Number three, difficulty level, pretty straightforward. Is that the issue? Is it just way out of the reach or is it too tedious? Let's adjust those difficulty levels. Number four, incorporate movement and novelty. Okay. I love station teaching. I want them getting up and moving. They don't need to be sitting. I, I do my stations the same amount of minutes approximately for their attention span give them different kind of tasks. And you know what? Maybe this one I'm not loving, but I can see the next station. That looks pretty cool. It's on green paper. We got some colored paper over there. The third station might be on a, on a computer game. May, and they don't have to all have bells and whistles. One of them might be some practice problems, but they're going to move. The stations are different. We're on the same learning target, but they're, but they're, it's a different approach. We may, we can use Play-Doh at one. Doesn't matter to me. We can draw at one, but we're going to give different stations and some novelty. So that's number four. Number five, let's not forget to make it social. Kids are social creatures. And remember, cooperative learning is different than group learning. Nobody likes just group learning because a group task, somebody who's the high grade person who just is so worried about their grades, going to take over. So cooperative learning is different. 
every student has an important task to do and it's interdependent. And for the group to do well, everybody's got to do their piece. So they're going to have different, different jobs to do. And then they blend those together into a product. So we want to make it social. We don't want to fight that. And we want kids to feel a part of the class and a part of this community. All right. This is a big one. Start strong. We want those openers to be super compelling because if I get a student really engaged in the opening minutes, I've got you now. That's why we used to call it a hook because now you're already successful. Your brain's going, Hey, this is working out for me. Uh, I'm feeling good about class. And now we can, we can build on that. If we start class with the drill and kill kind of thing, a warm up, a do now going over homework problems, those are not very, it's not a very compelling way to open. And, and a good reminder is students remember the most from the opening minute. So we want to really, really start strong. This one's a big one. It's hard to find anything that, that is more effective than quick growth oriented feedback. I mean, when you look at the results of, of students who had feedback, how much higher they scored. So I will talk for a moment about students who really have been struggling in school. They have a different relationship with, with grades. If, if they see a paper coming back and they see red on it, you'll see those students just want to wad it up. They'll ask you, can I, do we have to keep this? Can I throw this away? They want to get rid of the evidence. Some students love grades. They want to take a grade on everything all day long. They ask, can we take another grade on this? So, but feedback is great for every student. Now, where feedback gets to be a struggle is, is to try to do that 28 desk, get to every single student. That's a tough model because by the time I'm on desk 14, you know, it's crazy over here on desk three or desk 21. So we want to get those feedback loops. We want students giving feedback to each other, to their partners. We want students self-assessing, look at their own work. And then of course I'm giving feedback as well. And we're going to, it's not just, of course, a yes, no feedback. It's going to be, hey, here's some things I can really commend. You're off to a great start on this. I see you're thinking on this. I like your processes on this. Have you considered this? This could make this stronger. Two of the things on our website, and you know, and this is a reminder that feed, feedback's a two-way street. I need to know how this lesson's working for you. Okay, it's not just me giving you feedback in this classroom. I need to know how the school's working out for you. On our site, two things you might want to check out, Rick, uh, Rick uh, Jetter and Rebecca Coda, they're co-authors of Let Them Speak. Rebecca's got some brag tags on there that the kids actually give you feedback on your lesson. And Rick has a hundred ways to activate student voice throughout the building on all the kinds of things we're doing so that we get feedback from them because it's not just about me telling you. It's, it's again, it's their school, their class. So uh, quick feedback. The next thing that really helps motivate students is a safe environment. You know, it's a great idea, those practices of welcoming every student. You know, I'm a big fan of telling students, I'm glad you're here. I want them to know, hey, it's so good to see you today. My first comment to a student should not be, hey, tuck in that shirt. It should be, hey, so glad you're here. Glad you're here. Uh, we know that mistakes are just part of learning. It's good. It's okay. Let's look at those mistakes. It's not a big deal to make a mistake. We know in the math classroom, number one fear is making a mistake. It's just part of it. It's part of our growth, Right. You know, I want to connect with my students. Hey, I was thinking about you and I was writing this lesson last night. I think you're really going to like this. I want to group students thoughtfully. So creating that safe environment that's just, just comfortable. I'm, I belong in this classroom, feeling good about being here. Those are, those are really key points. So let's talk about a couple that, that don't work very well. Um, 
this is kind of maybe surprising, but extrinsic motivators like candy, stickers, corn dogs, funnel cakes, pizza, condos, whatever it is we're giving kids this year. Um, extrinsic motivators, students just start working for the sticker, working for the food, and it's not intrinsic. It's not the love of learning anymore. And they're just working for that sticker. And what happens is we just got to keep ramping up those extrinsic motivators. Some research I read a while back, I thought that was so illuminating on this, is what it showed is the only time that these extrinsic motivators giving them something to work worked was when the task was so tedious, nobody in their right mind's going to want to do it anyway. So we got to give you some, some candy, you know, to do that. So that's one thing that really is actually pretty harmful to kids. So if we're seeing students, we're in our building and we see some, some students who are withdrawing from tasks and it's, we all do. We don't, we don't pay attention all day long. We're not motivated all day long. Number one, we want to, first thing I would do is add some choices, give them some choices where they can select what they want to do within this framework. Of course, all those choices are going to help them reach that standard. Uh, number two, really look at our tasks. Are the tasks really meaningful and compelling? Number three, we want to start strong in that class, really start with a great opener for those opening minutes. Number four, be sure we're giving plenty of feedback and we have our feedback loop so that it's teacher to student, student to student, and the students looking at their own. And also they're giving us feedback. Number five is creating that safe environment where I feel good about making, I'm sharing my work. I'm okay. If I messed up a little bit, I'm still working on it. That wonderful, safe environment. Number six is let's, if we have a student who's withdrawing, let's check on the difficulty of that work. Is it too easy? Is it way out there? Let's kind of tweak it. Maybe we need some scaffolding. Number seven is novelty and movement, like using stations, using different approaches so that because the brain is, is drawn from novelty, the brain focuses on novelty. So how do we motivate those students in the long days? You know, try some of those approaches. I don't ever want to end a podcast without thanking every educator out there for all you do, for creating all these great possibilities for your kids, for opening doors every day. Join us every week for a podcast with an educational thought leader. And thanks so much. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.